Thank you for joining us here today at Calvary Church, where we are committed to loving God and loving people. If you have any questions or want to learn more about who we are, visit us online at calvary.ca. Now let's check out this week's message from our lead pastor, Steve McDonald. Welcome to Calvary Church and episode three of our new Come and See message series as we move closer to Easter. You know, zooming in on the life of Christ when he walked the earth allows us to be mentored by the Master even today when it comes to gaining a better understanding, a more effective understanding of what true evangelism and discipleship looks like. Again, for the, the skeptic and, and those that are, are seeking, come and see means to come and, and think, to engage your thoughts, to investigate the evidence that leads to hope in Christ. Now, for me, I can certainly identify with that approach because when I first heard the gospel in my teens, I had a million questions. And, and those questions led me to that hope. Now, for those that know Christ, that are Christ followers, come and see means to, to come and follow in those ordered steps, the steps of Jesus, to be more like him, to be less like us in our weaknesses, and to be strengthened by who he is within us as we we walk as disciples. And Kamatsi ultimately is a, it's a call to faith, a faith in his ability to finish the good work that he started within us. And it's a call to a, a good work that's empowered by his spirit, even today, uh, so that as we look at how Jesus modeled this interaction with people in his ministry on earth, uh, that we can follow in those steps, and that today, empowered by his spirit, we can reach out and tell others to come and see as we invite them to experience the life that is only found in Christ. You know, John wanted us to understand that come and see evangelism uh, was never meant to be just about inviting people to church or getting people to believe in a certain set of spiritual laws or principles. It has always been about introducing people to Jesus, the living water that's only found in him, quenching the spiritual thirst that you might believe. You know, out of all the drinks on the market today, my favorite at the top of the list is still ice cold water. For me, that's, that's what quenches my thirst. And for those of us that have easy access just by turning on a tap, to water, I think sometimes we take it for granted uh, until we're in a part of the world where it's not as easily accessible, where we recognize how valuable and precious water really is, especially if you're in a place where it's unbelievably hot. You know, I remember that kind of heat and that kind of thirst when Pastor Gordon and I, uh, years ago, visited our missionaries in Haiti. And when I got off the plane uh, and stepped out of those doors, it was like, whoosh, I was just engulfed with this heat that you could not escape from. And I was incredibly thirsty and trying to find my bags and make my way out to, to meet up with everybody. And so when I got out in the front of the, the uh, arrivals area, I'm looking at this sea of people, and there, right in the middle of them all, 
was this white bearded man with a ball hat with a big smile on his face and two cold Diet Cokes held up to help direct me and quench my thirst. Now listen, it was, a, it was a wonderful welcome. And so we loaded up into uh, Bishop Abraham's truck. He, he's the, the pastor who oversees all the, the churches that we're involved with in Haiti. And we began to kind of make our way through the crowded streets, these end of days streets of Port-au-Prince. And as he's driving his truck, he's got one hand on the steering wheel and the other hand out the window kind of exchanging money for us, converting money, and then buying bags of water. So instead of like bottles, it was like bags. It looked like a little IV bag full of water to help uh, quench our thirst. Now at that moment, we, we cared less about maybe the quality of that water and more that, that we trusted him that it was going to do the trick. And so we kind of stick a straw in it or crack it open and, and, and take it in and, and enjoy it. And then later in the trip, on our way back to the ministry compound, we also took a couple of uh, excursions to some of the more remote villages where we have churches that minister to the people there. And it was wonderful to see what God's doing uh, in, in that part of the world. And today, listen, be praying for Haiti because it's, it's, uh, it's in rough shape. And so we're still helping Abraham and the churches he oversees there. But many of the churches that we helped to establish also at the time came with the drilling of a well. That was a pretty common thing. And when that water finally flowed, it was like hope and life came to, to that village. And people would come from all over, walking miles with buckets to fill them up and to, to take them back for cooking, for, for drinking, for cleaning. Uh, it was just a, a part of, of life and, and life that was was improving. And so people excitedly came to, to fill up. And it was much the same in Jesus' day, especially as John gives his account of some of these towns and villages where people, it was very common for them to, to, to walk a very long distance with heavy jars to fill up for water. They, didn't, they couldn't just turn on the tap like we do today. And so in chapters 3 and 4 of John's gospel, we find the, the perfect setting to, to learn from the ultimate evangelist. You see, Jesus quenches the thirst of, of two radically different people. In chapter 3, it's the powerful and influential uh, Jewish leader, Nicodemus, who we talked about last week. And then in chapter 4, it's the, the powerless and, and thirsty Samaritan woman. And both he meets where they are. He loves them for who they are. He listens to their hearts. And then he sets them on a path of growth. Two great models for effective evangelism, even in our lives today. But now in this encounter with Jesus and the, the Samaritan woman is two examples of evangelism in one story. One from Jesus and the other from the Samaritan woman. Great lessons to be learned. You see, he went out of his way to bring hope and living water to this lady. And then she excitedly invited others to come and see Jesus. And they came, and many believed in him. So let's jump into chapter 4, starting in verse 28. It says, Then leaving the water jar, the woman went back to her town 
and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything that I ever did. He read my mail. He knows exactly who I am. She was so excited. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Then jump down to verse 39. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Never underestimate the power in your story of what Jesus has done in your life. Tell people what God has done in your life because it has life-changing power. She said, he told me everything I ever did. Again, talking about how, the, how he, he knew her. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, listen, we, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. In other words, we came, we saw, we experienced, and now we believe. Jesus was the, the greatest influencer and evangelist that the world has ever seen. In Proverbs 11, uh, it teaches us that a soul winner needs to be wise. So if we're wise, if we, if we pay close attention, we, we can be mentored by the master once again and grow in our ability to reach out with the gospel and to teach others to do the same thing so that it continues to be passed on and multiplies. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we looked at a couple of scenes from a great show called The, the Chosen, a multi-season series about the life of Jesus and his disciples. And it really has helped to, to kind of bring to life some of the accounts that we're talking about from John's gospel. And when we saw this come and see moment from, from Philip and Nathaniel, when he said to Nathaniel, despite his skepticism, you got to come and see Jesus, we saw how his life was radically changed. And then we also saw this late night conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus, as Jesus met him where he was in the middle of the night and was there to listen to not only what his words were, but to hear his heart and, and to allow him to work through those questions so that he might believe. Now today I'd like to show you another great clip also used with permission of the Samaritan woman and her life-changing encounter uh, with Jesus at Jacob's well. Let's look at that together. God is spirit and the time is coming and is now here that it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? <laughs> Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am He. I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. 
It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know. But not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon. Just the heart. <laughs> you promise. I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> Hey, wait! Your water! You forgot your um. Come you man! You told me everything I ever did! <laughs> now, the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well is told in chapter 4 of John's Gospel. And it comes on the heels of Jesus' rapidly growing popularity in Judea and the resulting unhappiness of the Jewish religious leaders. He was pushing all their buttons at this time. So Jesus deflects further attention by heading to Galilee. And the quickest way to get there was to go north right through Samaria. Now, because of the, the long-standing bad blood between the Samaritans and the Jews, the Jews would typically go all the way around the Samaritan zone and, and instead of crossing into it. But Jesus didn't hesitate to cross into Samaritan territory. He and the disciples crossed the border and, and end up at Jacob's well, about a half a mile outside of the village of Sakar. Now, what happens next for me, it's very interesting because the disciples leave Jesus there all by himself to go into town to get some food. He's alone in hostile territory. It just seems a little strange to me. But what happens next maybe helps us to understand why. Why he was left alone. Perhaps he requested that he have some time to himself. Because now we're about to understand. Because while the disciples were in town, a woman comes to the well to draw water. Now Jesus had crossed geographical and ethnic boundaries by going through Samaria. But now he crosses the gender boundary by asking the woman to give him a drink. You see, in, in his world, men rarely spoke to women in public, even if they were married to them. Which is why we, we, we kind of understand how she responds in verse 9. You are a Jew, and I'm a, a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? This, this doesn't seem right. But Jesus is quick to assess the situation. 
and to move the conversation from the literal to the spiritual, offering her living water, which is this wonderful symbol of salvation and new life. Now, even though she doesn't completely get it and understand what he's saying at first, we see that she still enthusiastically responds. In verse 15, she says, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, that would be great if you didn't have to keep coming all that way to get water. But that's not exactly what he was talking about. But then, interestingly enough, the conversation takes a bit of an odd bounce. And he says, you know what? Go and call your husband and come back. To which she replies, I have no husband. Now, do you think this was a surprise to Jesus? I think he probably asked the question to be able to talk to her about her situation. Because he says, you're right. The fact that, that, that you don't have a husband right now is pretty accurate because you've already had five husbands in your life. And the man that you're with now is not your husband. You see, Jesus knew her. He knew her. And he, he wanted her in this moment to recognize that. And he knows you too, better than you know yourself. Now, I think too many people have, have taken the information that Jesus shares here about the woman and quickly concluded that this woman's got to be a, a shameless sinner. She's probably a prostitute with that kind of track record. But I think when we understand more about first century marriage, maybe we shouldn't be so quick to judge her. You see, Jesus wasn't condemning her in this moment. He doesn't even tell her to repent or stop sinning, which he actually does in the next chapter when he heals the man at the pool of Bethesda. She could have been a widow for all we know, right? It wasn't uncommon for women to be married several times at a young age to older men, and then for many of these older men to, to die. She probably outlived them all, so that could be a possibility. She could have been divorced. In that time, men could easily divorce their wives for a number of reasons. Sadly, it wasn't so easy in that context for women to do the same. So, so there was a lot of things that, that were, were given to the, to the man as far as favor outside of what the woman's perception of a situation could be. So, so that could have been a possibility. And she likely wasn't a prostitute because not too many people were lining up to marry a prostitute in that day, right? Or even listen to her. The Bible says that she went back to her town, told everybody what Jesus had, had said to her, and everybody listened, and they went to find Jesus. If she was a, a prostitute, if she had a sketchy background, most wouldn't even give her the time of day. And as far as living with a man that wasn't her husband, you know, again, it wasn't uncommon for some to have no living relatives to be abandoned, more or less, and to be living with someone else purely out of survival. And so we see that there's a number of possibilities that, that were not given an accurate description of, of what her scenario was, but we need to not be quick to judge. Because I think when we focus on the, the woman at the well's marital status, we're missing the point altogether. You see, this conversation is really meant to show us more about, about Jesus than about the woman. Jesus uses this revelation about her to make his own revelation, to reveal his true identity to Jesus. This was his moment when he was going public 
with who he was. He knew that in telling her, this first lady evangelist, that she would go and broadcast it to the world. And, it's, and it works, right? Because she, she, takes, she takes what she's heard back. But in this moment, she sees him with new eyes. First as, as a, a prophet, because he, he must be a prophet to know this kind of information. But then as it progresses, she sees him as the promised Messiah. And then understanding that he is who he says he is and who people have promised he would be, she, she hits him with a question, a, a theological question, a question that would be pressing in that day between Samaritans and Jews. And she says, wait, should God be worshipped in Jerusalem, as the Jews say, or on Mount Gerizim, as the Samaritans say? In other words, she's saying, who are God's true people? This is a question she wanted an answer to. It was actually a very good question. And then Jesus lets her in on some very good news. In John 4, 23, he says, A time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In other words, the question no longer is about Jews or Samaritans or whether we worship in Jerusalem or on the mountain. You see, the work of God is not bound by a location, no more than it's bound by, by one gender or an ethnic background. Then as their conversation ends in this moment, Jesus confirms what she really knows in her heart, that he is the promised Messiah. And he uses a phrase that then we see repeated in the book of John, which is another great study. When you look at the I am's of Christ in the Gospel of John. And in this case, in verse 26, he says, I am he. I am the one that you're talking about. You see, the Samaritan woman engages Jesus in theological conversation. She asks incredibly great questions. But then she drops her bucket when she re realizes who he is, when she has that revelation, and she runs back to evangelize her whole town all why Jesus' disciples are still standing in line waiting to pick up their food order. This is what happened. Jesus used this woman to reach an entire town. Now, let me give you three effective evangelism takeaways modeled by Jesus in his encounter with this woman. The first one was that he was, he was compelled. Jesus' desire to, to lead lost people back to the Father compelled him to go where he would bear the most fruit, where he would have the most uh, success for the words he spoke. John 4, 4 again says, now he had to go through Samaria, but some other translations actually will say he was compelled. And so I think it's interesting to consider what it was that compelled him. Because just a chapter earlier, we see Jesus telling Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son in John 3.16. See, Jesus was compelled to go through Samaria because he didn't just come for the Jews. He came for the Samaritans. He came for all people. And apparently the plan to reach the Samaritans for Jesus centered around this woman and her obedience. By his spirit, God is is still compelling people like, like you and me today. 
still compelling them to invite other people to come and see. We need to go into the world, into the, the places where those that are still searching can hear our story, can understand what Christ has done with us. Because our obedience to God today could be a part of a bigger plan to reach your friends, your family, and your neighbors tomorrow. The second takeaway from this account in John's gospel is that, that he made contact. You see, if, if God desired to reach out to humanity so much that he sent his son to take on the form of a man, how much more should, should we put ourselves in places where we can be in contact with those that are lost. Jesus put himself in a place where lost people were. He went to Jacob's well. He went to a place where many Jews would avoid completely because of hostility. See, he purposely engaged in a conversation uh, on, a, on a human common need, just getting a, 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 a drink. He made her feel comfortable. He identified that human need, but then moved it to a place where he could minister a spiritual reality. Sometimes I think we fail to take advantage of the moments that God has placed in our lives and the, the many contacts that he's given us of those that, that we know that may not know Christ. You know, the greatest mission field for Christ and for a Christ follower is not necessarily in another part of the world. It may be. But for most of us, it could be our block, it could be our workplace, it could be our, our school, our, our family. These are the places that God has called us to make connections and to, and, and to contact people that need to know the truth. And then finally, and this is such an important one, he offered the cure. He offered the cure. At the right time, he offered this woman living water. You see, we, we need to recognize the felt needs of other peoples, but, but we need to also address the real need that they're experiencing. Don't make the mistake of, of trying to relate too long as almost like this period where you're, you're preparing things, uh, but then never sharing your faith, waiting too long. You see, after we've, we've related to somebody and, and got to know them, we need to pray for an opening and not be afraid to share our faith in Christ to tell our story. This woman certainly wasn't afraid to do that. She ran back excited to say, this guy knows everything about me. Like you've got to come and see. It was her enthusiasm and her passion in her newfound faith that compelled people to come. John 4, 13, Jesus says to her, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You know what? The Samaritan woman at the well that day wasn't looking for Jesus. But it seemed that Jesus was looking for her. And he's looking for you today. Could it be that, that she all along was part of the plan to spread the gospel? The same plan that you and I are still a part of today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the incredible plan of salvation, for sending your son into this world to make a way that by laying down his life that we could pick ours up and live it. I pray that, that we would learn from this woman to 
recognize who you are in, in our lives, that you are the Messiah, and that we would go and compel people to come and experience the same thing that we have experienced, that new life that's only found in you, that living water that quenches the thirst of that spiritual desire that's within us. I pray today that the hope of the world would be seen and experienced through us, through the church, through your people today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.